I got a big question on my heart this morning that I want us to ponder as we get into God's word in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bible with you, as I hope you do, Matthew 21, here's the question that I've been thinking about. I want you to think about how is my relationship to the truth? Stetson's going to put it up on the screen for us. How is my relationship to the truth? What is the truth? Well, biblically, we know it's more than just facts, right? We know what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So with that in mind, that truth is more than facts. It's a person, the person of Jesus Christ. How is your relationship to the truth? Related to that, I was thinking about the question, why do humans so often reject the truth of God? Reject the truth of Jesus Christ. So I thought about that. I thought about a story you may have read this week. I thought about Megan Rapinoe, U.S. women's soccer team. Last game of her career, and she blew her Achilles. Do you remember what she said if you read this story? She said, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God... This is proof that there isn't. Six minutes in, and I eat my Achilles. Now, I don't know Megan Rapinoe personally, but I, but I know some things about her. I know that she's an outwardly expressed homosexual. I know that she's an atheist. And for someone in that boat to acknowledge that there's a God, to acknowledge Jesus, to acknowledge that truth would come with accountability. It would be costly. That's not just true for her. That's true for every one of us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think one of the reasons humans so often reject the truth of Jesus is this. Listen, salvation is a free gift, right? Jesus paid the price. It it is finished on the cross. But stay with me. Opening that gift and living it out in your life will cost you in this world of sin. It'll cost you saying no to your own sinful desires. We all have them. And it will sometimes cost you at the hands of sinful men who hate the truth of Jesus Christ. We're going to explore that concept a little bit this morning as we see Jesus' interaction in the last week of his life before the cross in his earthly ministry here with the Pharisees. We're going to deal with two questions that he faces them with, and I want us to ask ourselves the same questions. He doesn't say these exact words, but I believe this is the heart he's getting at. And here's the first of the two questions. 
that I want us to ponder this morning. Am I a seeker of the truth or a self-protector? Now, you might read that and say, hey, are they really mutually exclusive? Like, I want the truth, but I wore a seatbelt on the way in, and I'm glad I got an airbag in my car. That, that's legit, okay? That's okay. But my question is deeper than that. When, when seeking and obeying and following truth starts to conflict with my safety and my desire to protect my life, my desires, which trumps the other? the seeking of truth or my desire to be a self-protector. I think that's some of the battle the the religious leaders in Jesus' day were dealing with when it came to whether or not to follow Jesus. Matthew 21, 23. says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? What things are they talking about? Well, if you were with us last week, you remember he came in riding the colt of a donkey and received praise from the people. He healed the blind and lame. And then he cleaned out the temple. Those things, they, want, they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, on the surface, that's a simple question with a simple answer, right? If Jesus were to answer that directly, what would he say? As the Son of God, I come in the authority of God. I come in the authority of my Father. But you notice, if you know this passage, Jesus doesn't give them a straight answer. He's going to answer their question with a question. And I want to plant a seed with you as you're out there in our world shining the light of Jesus, as I hope you are, and you get into conversations with, with perhaps a skeptic. We do well to follow Jesus' example sometimes. Rather than responding right away with, with an answer, it's okay sometimes to ask a question of your own. Jesus did this to help them see the soil of their own heart. And sometimes that's good for people to see. Greg Kokel has three questions that I'd like you to keep in mind when you deal with someone about, about an issue they're skeptical about in the Bible. Let's say someone comes to you and says, hey, you know what? Don't all religions really basically teach the same thing. So it doesn't really matter which one you follow, right? Instead of jumping right into the direct answer, the first question you ask is, what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? Those are two questions right there. What do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? That's going to help them look inside and see, have I really thought this through? Or am I just repeating something that my professor told me in college? It'll help them see why they say that. And then if, Lord willing, that that soil is plowed enough, you go on to the third question. Have you ever considered the possibility that? And then you go into the truth. For example, in this case, did you know that Muslims have a sin called shirk? 
do you know what shirk is in the Muslim faith? Shirk is believing in the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. Right away, you see that they are very different, Islam and Christianity. Then you could go on. Have you ever considered that only one of those two faiths has a leader with an empty tomb? And go on to explain your rationale for believing in the empty tomb of Christ. But you didn't jump right in. What do you mean by that? How would you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered that? Jesus isn't going to answer their question directly. He's going to respond with a question. Verse 24, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Now remember, this is Jerusalem. At the time of Passover, there are many, many people in the crowd probably listening in as we see later on. The baptism of John, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? He's putting them on two horns of a dilemma, especially in public like this. And, and they start to talk about it. They, they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? That makes sense, right? If, if, if John the Baptist's mission was from heaven and, and John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, why don't you believe him and why don't you believe me? Why then did you not believe him? And I want to speak to one reason when you read the Gospels in their entirety that, that I believe they would not believe him. I believe they were focused so much, for one thing, on what it would cost them. Think of their lofty position as the religious leaders to follow this carpenter from Nazareth that would re require their humility. That's too much to ask for men who loved the prestige of their position. Also think of the self-righteousness that many of them had about them. Self-righteousness. To acknowledge their need for Jesus as their Savior, that would acknowledge their own lack. I think in their mind, they stood to lose too much. Jesus speaks to the other. They, they speak to the other side about it. They say, but if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. They, they love their popularity among men, and they, they don't want to do anything to threaten that, so they they dare not say, from man. Think about our relationship to the truth. wonder how, how often fear of man plays into that. What's this person that I know going to think if I believe this and say it and follow it? It paralyzed them. 
Does it ever paralyze you? Have you been in that moment where you feel that fear? I've been there. But I want to encourage you to think eternally the next time you find yourself tempted to give in to fear of man rather than embrace the truth in front of your eyes. When we all stand before Jesus one day, I want to ask you a question. Are you going to care at all about what the people around you down here thought? Absolutely not. You're only going to care at that moment about what he thinks. Embrace that reality now. Let that shape your beliefs, your life. They're in a pickle. They, they, they don't want to say either of those things. Verse 27, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And is it wrong for me to kind of say yes? <laughs> like, because this is what they've been trying to do to Jesus all along, to stump him in public. And he just did it to them. He totally delegitimized their authority. It was their job to answer that question. And they had been monitoring this situation for three years. And in front of the crowd, they say, we do not know. He knows they didn't really want to know where his authority came from. Nor would they respond to it if he told them. So he says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I want to ask us a question. When we come to God, when we come to God's word, when we come to church to listen to God's word preached, do we come with an open heart saying, what is your truth and a desire to follow that truth? Because Jesus knows if we're playing games. He's looking for those who would seek him and seek him with, with all their heart. And I want to encourage believers I know it's a dark world out there. And I know you know that speaking the truth will cost you. Just look at the, the simple truth that that little piece of land in the Middle East the size of New Jersey was promised to Israel by God. Look at the flack that is catching right now. To speak the truth that Jesus is the only way. Is costly in this world, but again, I'd encourage you to think eternally. Matthew 10, 32. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Speaking the truth will cost you in this world. Living the truth will cost you. Listen, those sinful desires that I was talking about, as you say no to that sin, that will cost you doing that sin. But you know what? What's going to come out of that? You're going to be in a better position to find your satisfaction, the only place you can find it. In a God who says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He, he loves you too much 
for you to settle for that substitute pulling at your soul right now. Listen, Jesus commands us to forgive. That's costly, right? Forgiving that person who hurt you so deeply costs you the desire and the opportunity to get revenge in their lives. But guess what? As you do that, you're going to reflect Christ. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. On to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you know how much forgiveness would stand out in the world in which we live? Paul uses the word fragrance here. It's like a a beautiful smell because it's so counter to everything you see out there. In that they will see Christ. As we die to ourselves, the risen Christ shines forth. I think about leaves. When are leaves at their most beautiful? Fall, right? When, when they're dying and they, they die. That's, that's when we, we come to the trees with the oohs. And the awes, right? I believe the same is true in the life of the believer. As we die to ourselves, the the beauty of our risen Lord shines forth in our words, in our actions. Those of how many Star Wars fans we got in here? Okay, the rest of you, I apologize. Plug your ears for a moment if you like. Episode four. The first one, strangely, you know. Obi-Wan fighting Darth Vader. Darth Vader's about to strike him down with his lightsaber. You remember what Obi-Wan Kenobi said? If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Now think of our Savior. What did he say just before he went to the cross? John 12, 24, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit into every believer in this room. I believe the same is true in our lives as it was in Jesus' life. As we die, his resurrection life shines forth. It's costly. That's where the power lies. Let me ask you a question. Are you a seeker of truth or a self-protector? Which one trumps the other one? Is there anywhere this morning in your life where your desire for safety or comfort is keeping you from believing or obeying the truth. And here's the, the kicker. Would you lay that down this morning at the feet of Jesus and surrender to him and his will for your life, seeking truth even when it costs you? 
second question here of our two, am I a professor or a practitioner? And I'm not talking here about college teachers. When I say professor, I'm talking about someone who, who says, some, says something. Says something. I can speak. <laughs> someone who says something but doesn't live it out. Am I a professor or a practitioner? Someone who practices what I say, I believe. He's going to tell them a story to get to this point. Verse 28 says, what do you think? A man had two sons. We're going to look at the first son. He, he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Now, that was disrespectful. To say that to a father, no, I will not, that was disrespect. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Despite the initial refusal, this is the practitioner, and who's he talking about? I'm going to spoil a little of what Jesus says later. He's talking about the tax collectors and the prostitutes who believed. Initially, we're going our own way in this sin. Then Jesus shows up. I believe. We talk about practicing. What is the work that God requires? You remember the Jews asked him that in John 6? John 6, 28, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And you can imagine all kinds of things he might say there, right? How long is the list? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. All those other works flow out of that as fruit, to believe in the one he has sent. That first son's the practitioner. Let's look at the second son, the professor. He went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. Sounds good but did not go. Said it. Didn't do it. Who's he talking about here? The Pharisees and the religious leaders, many of them in his time. John 5, he made this plain as he spoke to them. Verse 39, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. If you ask them, do you love the word of God? Yes. Do you love God? Yes. And yet you reject his son. Verse 31, he looks at them with the clincher. He says, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, and it's hard to explain how much this must have made them cringe inside because they thought of themselves so highly and they despised, despised prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God 
before you. Why? Verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The leaders he's speaking to remind me of what Jeremiah said in chapter 6. These are timely words even today. Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Where the good way is? Who's Jesus? The way? Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Now here's a question that was bothering me this week. Why do you suppose the prostitutes and tax collectors, many of them, embraced the truth, but many of the leaders did not? I suspect that at least part of the answer to that is a difference in focus. A difference in focus. I'm thinking of Matthew 16, 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think for those leaders who were so esteemed, revered in that society, they, they focused on what they stood to lose by embracing Jesus. What about the prostitutes and the tax collectors? Despised by most of society, right? I believe for those who believe, they, they were focused on what they stood to gain. This was a savior that, that would come after them, that feasted with their kind at Matthew the tax collector's house, a Savior who would offer them forgiveness as they turned to him in faith and repentance, forgiveness instead of condemnation, a Savior who would offer them grace and accept them instead of reject them. And it's right here, this side of the resurrection, leading into Thanksgiving this week, I, I want to pause for a minute and just talk about some of the beautiful things we have to be thankful for if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to put them up here on the screen, just, just a few things. And you can take the verses home and read them if you want. Total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. Every sin you've ever thought, said, or done washed away the reality that, that this is a Savior who will never leave you or forsake you. I don't know what you're walking through today, but a Savior who's there through it all. The reality that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
It's like we talked about yesterday at the Friendsgiving, which was a blast. We said some of these sides and desserts out here have bacon soda and flour and salt in them. And how many of you would like a, a spoonful of salt or bacon soda this morning? Probably nobody, right? But you mix those in with the rest of the ingredients and, and bake them, and out comes this delicious dessert. This truth doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is good. But God works it all together for good. He's conforming you to the image of his son. Nothing's wasted. No condemnation. Oh, to be free from the weight of condemnation. Freedom in Christ. How about a kingdom that cannot be shaken? There's a lot being shaken in this world. And a lot that will be shaken. You want to make sure you're not holding on to that stuff for your direction and your hope and your meaning. Believers have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hold on to that. And last but not least, you're sealed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The seal was put on a mailing and stamped with the sender's stamp to show it was his and to make sure it got where it was going. Think about that in your life, believer. And to make it more easy to remember, check that out. You can give thanks for these things as we walk into Thanksgiving and beyond. Listen, I want to ask you this morning on the second point, when it comes to truth, which one are you this morning? Are you a professor or a practitioner? If I ask you, do you believe the Bible? You say, yeah. Do you care what God thinks? Yeah, that's great. But then I go to the next question. Have you personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what it comes down to this morning. That may be why you're here. That's why we have people down here after service to pray with you. If you want to talk about that, don't leave here without making that decision. And for the believers, and this is where it gets convicting for me and every believer sometimes, and I'm not doing this to condemn anybody, but to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Is there any place in your life, my life, believer, where I say, oh, yeah, I love God and, and I believe in his commands, but then walk out of here and totally reject his will for your life or my life by, by disobeying the commands? I was thinking about something this week. Sometimes, so often we think of sin as something we do, and, and often it is. But sometimes sin is something we don't do. Have you ever heard of sins of omission? The Holy Spirit was working in my heart as I thought about some of these. Sin of omission. The, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you really love God? Believer, this morning. Honestly, and if so, how much How about love your neighbor as yourself or consider others more significant than yourself? We'd all raise our hand and say, yeah, I believe that. But I'm sure there's a neighbor in your life where you're finding it a battle to do that, right? Are you, are you going to obey God? Trust God in all circumstances. 
That's not an option for the believer. Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this morning, are we trusting God fully? Or have we crossed into the worry and the anxiety that he commands us against? Thank God in all things. In all things. Do I have a grateful heart this morning? How about share the good news with others? If I, if I were to ask, hey, how many of you believe we're supposed to be out there planting seeds in our words and our actions? Yeah, yeah. Am I, am I waking up each morning saying, Lord, lead me in those opportunities. Help me be sensitive. And when those opportunities come, boom. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You don't go straight to the obedience. You go to the love question. Do I love Jesus? You know one of the best ways to increase our love for Jesus? Is to ask the question, why do we love him? Why do we love others for that matter? 1 John 4, 19, you know what it says? We love because he first loved us. Go back to that starting point. Ponder this Thanksgiving week just how much this Savior loves you. This Father who would send his Son loves you. I saw this on display in the past couple weeks. I'm going to change the names of this story for privacy. But it's a true story. I'm going to tell you about Joe and Tom. Tom used to go to the church next door a long time ago. Now Tom lives out east. And Tom calls me, and he says, hey, I got a buddy back there named Joe. I think he could stand to talk to somebody because he's, he's going through a hard time. He, he cheated on his wife multiple times. There's, there's kids involved, and he's at the end of his rope. Would, would you mind reaching out to him? I said, sure. I, I called Tom. And here's where I want you to see the heart of a seeking Savior. Tom was wrestling with the, the, the deep consequences of his choices. He wants his family back now, but, but she understandably doesn't trust him after multiple times. And he told me that, that he was out in his vehicle one day, and he cried out to God saying, I am desperate. I'm desperate. And he hadn't talked to Joe for years Forgive me if I'm mixing up the names. It's hard when they're not real. He hadn't talked to Joe for years. Just a minute or two after, he said, God, I'm desperate. His friend from out east texted him. And all the text said was, where are you at? Where are you at? Reminded me of the Garden of Eden when God came seeking after Adam and Eve. And he opened up, and that's led to this connection that will hopefully bring healing. God loves that man. He heard his cry and he sought him out in his desperation. That's the kind of love the Savior has for you and me. We love because he first loved us. As we wrap up, I think about the two sons in the story. Were either of them perfect? No, one refused his father, right, which is disrespectful. Then he went, which is better than the other one, who, who lied to his father, said, I'll go, and then didn't. 
As I wrap up, I think about what we're talking about today. The reality is there is only one perfect son of the father who said yes to his father's will and carried it through. He is where our hope is. It's not in you. It's not in me. Listen to this perfect son described in Hebrews 10, 14. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said to his father, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He said, yes, Father, and he carried it through for you and for me. Paul calls the wonder of that truth, the wonder of the cross in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Let's look at that verse, Stetson. I want him to see it. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The gift of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I'll close where I started. How is your relationship this morning with the truth? Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Savior King, the Lamb of God, through communion, I pray that you'd work in this room. I pray that if there be any here who say, I need that Savior, my relationship with the truth is, has been non-existent because I've been too busy protecting myself or too busy saying and not following up with faith that really trusts the Savior. Draw him to the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are believers, I pray that you'd work in this room. Help us to, to trust you with all that we are so that when we come to those crossroads and we, we choose between truth and our comfort, by your spirit, we would choose truth. We would live truth. We would speak truth boldly. And that, that we would go beyond the raising of our hands and the yeses that come out of our mouths to, to yeses in our hearts, in our lives. That, that the resurrection life of our Savior would shine forth as we die to ourselves. His light would work through us as as a light to this world that needs him so much. In Jesus' name.